0: And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it away, Michael.
1: All right, folks. Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 68 today, uh, Ancient Psychedelics and the Mushroom uh, with our guest, Joshua Bepichat. I'm sorry. And um, you can check us out at and com. And slash Mike and Maurice. Uh, you can check out our guest Joshua's website at ancientpsychedelia.com. And uh, without further ado, what's going on, Joshua?
2: Hi, how are you guys doing today? Very good,
0: good, how's it going?
2: Great, great, good to hear from you. Glad- happy to
1: be on. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Um, so, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of background um, on how you got into this whole ancient psychedelic use and and that whole, you know, kind of a vibe, like what set you in, in this motion or is this something that you've always been involved in? Um,
2: okay. When I was a kid, if you go back far enough, I was deep into science fiction, uh, horror films and magic and the occult uh, from a very young age. Um, I'd seen most of the science fiction films by the time I was 11 or so. And I was starting to play with Ouija boards and i had people in my family who were supportive of my interest in the unknown and my attempts to check out things like that so i had a lot of support in my family but i grew up in a religious well not in a in a non-religious jewish household and uh we basically you know just i had a lot of acceptance around me so by the time i turned 15 i uh, was starting to experiment with uh psychedelics and As I was graduating high school, I started to learn about Iran-Contra and the uh, um, concentration camps that were, you know, being set up that Oliver North was, you know, being questioned about in hearings and uh, I did a report on that in my last year in in high school and then went on to uh, learn about conspiracies more but I went to work for Greenpeace for a couple of years right out of high school and i started to learn uh after a couple while i was at greenpeace i was introduced to the idea of the secret government um and bill cooper and john Lair. uh a very uh nice elderly lady that worked there uh figured i was might be the kind of perfect candidate for that type of information because i was very interested in uh all sorts of strange stuff and we talked about all kinds of things and we used to canvas and go on routes together and so i i listened to tapes of John Lear and Bill Cooper. And then I went to my first UFO uh, expo in 1990, 89, 90. I forget exactly which year, but it was right before Behold a Pale Horse came out. And I met Bill Cooper and I met Jordan Maxwell at Booth together. And uh, I got turned on to the idea of the secret government. Um, I bought Behold a Pale Horse a couple months later. I uh, bought Dawn of the New Day from Jordan Maxwell, and then I followed up uh, with um, his – I also, I think I took home his slide presentation as well at that point. And that was 89 or 90. It was fairly early on, and I got deep into that, and I found that um, the impact of symbols that Jordan was sharing through the um, the eye, and the Illuminati eye and the pyramid, CBS, you know, different corporations and stuff – there was a lot of power in that symbolism and, and a lot of uh, the ability to understand and also understand the, the how religion and government were intertwined in certain ways secretly behind the scenes. So uh, that got me started in that way. And then I tapped into leading edge research put out by um, uh, Val Valerian and a group of ex-CIA NSA people that were trying to keep people aware of what was going on in the world by putting uh, a publication together that contained all the things that we weren't supposed to learn about. And I was over at Mandala Books in Santa Monica one day, and I read an article called Who Owns the Environmentalist Movement? And it dealt with the uh, corporation structures that were controlling the environmental movement and how certain things were being exaggerated and certain things were being done so that larger corporations could Uh, buy out the smaller corporations that couldn't keep up with the cleaner air and cleaner fuel standards and make the technological changeovers and didn't have the financial abilities to do that and weren't set up and controlled by higher level corporations that wanted them to survive. So I felt that what I was trying to do for the environment was not going to be as effective as it could be. And I felt, still felt that Greenpeace was doing a lot of good, though. A lot of this had more to do with, like, the Sierra Club, the World Wildlife Fund, the Natural Resources Defense Council. And, uh, and there was a little influence in Greenpeace that I, wasn't, I could see I wasn't going to be too happy with. But I was happy with what we were doing. And I met, I read an article that, um, in High Times Magazine about Jack Herrer and the hemp organization and how they were trying to legalize cannabis in California. I met Jack at a Grateful Dead show. I think it was 1990 at Shoreline. I picked up nice. a copy of The Emperor, and yeah, and he gave me a copy of The Emperor, and I took it home and read it. And went. one of the things that really impressed me about Jack was that he uh, he was so dedicated to what he was doing that he was willing to just give me. I didn't have a lot of extra money at the time, and he just offered to let me have the book and just said, "Pay me when you can." And I was I thought, well that's that's the mark of a true activist right there. Somebody who, you know, he's not really out, out there for the money. He's doing nice, the yeah. you know, in it. And you're so, talking
1: about uh the Emperor has no clothes, the, yes, not the all the, all the different clothes. uses for cannabis and THC and CBD and all that kind of stuff.
2: Right, right, yeah. Yeah. And I got I got I read the book and I got super excited about all the things that it could do for the environment with paper, fiber, fuel, food, plastic, medicine, all the different things. And I, I was just obsessed with all the different facts and the information and how he brought so many different facts from so many different places around. And uh, so I quit working for Greenpeace and I joined the hemp organization to start collecting signatures for the 1991 uh, legalization effort in California and ended up collecting the most signatures in the state for that effort. And then did the same thing in 1994 when we had the next initiative. And from 91 through 99, I had a, a booth a hemp booth on Venice Beach that I maintained along with Jack Herrer, but independently where I was able to put out my own information and I taught people about things like the corporate control behind cannabis, like the uh, the keeping it illegal and what was going on. I I like to learn. I was learning about Jordan Maxwell, the new world order, secret societies. I had all kinds of information about these things out there on the booth. So I was educating a lot of people every year coming through Venice Beach, doing this stuff. And I did that for about eight years, pretty solid um and uh so while i when I first met Jack, one of the first things he he i when I met Jordan Maxwell at the UFO Expo, he was telling me about the symbol the symbolism of the sun and Jesus and how Jesus was uh representative of the solar divinity and that it was really uh that Jesus was really just a symbol for the sun, that he didn't live as an actual person. Uh, walking on the planet, that this was all symbolism, and I thought that was really interesting. And but when I met Jack Herrer, he told me that Jesus was a mushroom, and that I should read John Allegro's "The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross." So that was in 1991, 92, right after two years. You know, within a year or two after meeting Maxwell and Cooper. And, of course, Cooper was a Christian, which is strange because I don't know how the two of them shared a booth together, but they both seemed to get along pretty well, and it was great meeting them uh, together at the same time. But, uh, Jack, when I read The uh, Sacred Mushroom in the Cross by John Allegro, I realized that that was also the truth in a big way. So. I was a little confused for a number of years because I didn't know which one was the higher truth, which one was the more absolute truth. And I didn't understand why uh, Jesus was a a solar divinity in one sense and then a mushroom divinity in another sense. But I just kind of put that on the shelf and I kept learning along the way. I set up a website called Freedom Domain in 1997. Um, I was getting tens of thousands of hits a day at one point it was the largest conspiracy-oriented website on the internet i took it down at some point um i wasn't happy with some of the things i'd written in the past that kind of i felt like it wasn't i didn't feel the same about certain things you evolve
1: i mean if you watch our first episode on this you'd be like holy shit and then compared to now it's a completely different story um but just back to your the correlation between Jesus and the mushroom and Jesus and the sun we had on an, another, I don't know if you're familiar with R and work with uh spirit, spirit in the sky. So he also makes a correlation, you know, um, similar kind of stuff. Um, and that Jesus wasn't necessarily a real person, but possibly a part of the brain, you know, like one of the components of the brain. Uh, we've done an episode on that too, but, um, the whole Jesus was a mushroom thing. Now, um, I don't know. Are you familiar with Hamilton Morris at all?
2: Not very familiar.
1: <clears throat> okay. Uh, there's. He's got a show called Hamilton's Pharmacopia. Um, sure. He was on Joe Rogan recently, and they were talking about this exact thing with uh, John Allegro, And but he brought up an interesting point that I had never heard, which was Allegro had an ax to grind with the church, so a lot of what he did when writing those books was to piss off the church and not necessarily – based in actual um fact or truth and i'm not saying that i believe this or not i was just curious on what you're because this guy i mean if you're familiar with hamilton morris he's a he's a chemist he's a pretty strict materialist in in that sense so um if there was a way to debunk something you know like that that Sure.
2: sure I think Thomas Hatzis is also interested in that same sort of line of thinking, um, to where it's not really necessarily the mushroom symbolism and stuff. And I know there's people out there that that take that position. Um, I think that sometimes they don't look maybe deep enough into it, or they're not, or they're not spending enough time looking in the right direction because uh, they, I think, they have sincere motives and they're very interested in the truth. Sure. So, um, but I think that yeah, what I found is that absolutely i believe 100 percent that uh the that that allegro was correct about most of what he was saying not everything but most of what he was saying about jesus and about the church's relation to the cover-up of everything
1: can i ask and you I, a question too so yeah, do you do you okay isn't it possible that jesus could have been a real person which there is Archaeological and anthropological evidence to suggest he was a real person, mainly by the writing of, you know, like you said, you're you have a Jewish background, but you're not really religious. There's a lot of Hebrew texts that mention Jesus in a negative context. So why write something about somebody if they're not even a real person? If you get where I'm going with that, that's number one. Number two, um, and I'm not religious. I mean, I was. Brought up in the Catholic Church, but I don't go to church. I haven't since high school. Um, I'm more spiritual, if anything. If that makes sense. Oh yeah,
2: for sure. Um,
1: But isn't it possible that Jesus could have a been a real enlightened being that maybe was using these substances? Um, And also possible your theory that maybe this was the inspiration behind religion. We took
0: it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night.
2: I would have to say, you know, I'm an honest person. I'm a straight shooter. I cut right to the chase. There's no bullshit, no BS here. Sure. No, um, I appreciate yeah, it. I, yeah, absolutely not. Jesus was absolutely not a real person. There's absolutely no way in the world it could be true. Um, and some of the reasons why I could say that, um, to back that up, just to start, uh, the book actually does prove that. It proves it to anybody who, once they read it, they'll understand that. But just in short, uh, from the very beginning, I guess we could start with the fact that there, there is, like, like, like Allegro stated in the in the book, The Sacred Mushroom of the Cross, one of the most important facts that he put in that book that just blew my mind when I read it, um, when I first understood this and I was learning about it, was, that if jesus was alive at that point he would have spoke in aramaic and that would have been the language that he was speaking in and and he would have uh, that for us to go back and to that the the greek uh, is where we get the uh, the new testament in its or in its translation that we have currently in order to test All right beginning anything- with paul
1: in 79 ad i believe was the if, first we had any,
2: if we had any way to test what Jesus had said to find out whether the translations were, were correct to begin with, we would have to go back to the original writings. And the problem is they don't exist. They, they, yeah, they, but, they, I mean, they, it's they, thousands
1: they, of years. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't well, exist,
2: well, anymore, there, including most of, of
1: the, the library at Alexandria.
2: Yeah, except that actually the library from Nineveh was discovered, and that contains a most, I believe, of the texts that were at the Library of Alexandria at the time. And we've recovered a lot of texts from there that we've been able to piece together, stories of Gilgamesh, stories of the floods, sure. uh, story, you know, a lot of these things. Actually, when I did the research that I did into mythology and it really got deep, what I did was I ended up having to read about a hundred books over a period of three years, Uh, just recently to just make sure that I was correct about the things I wasn't absolutely sure about. And when I dove really deep into mythology, I found that all of the ancient stories, there weren't that many variations and differences, and there were only so many of them, and they couldn't have had a library back then like we had the Library of Congress. It was more like uh, there was a certain set group of, of stories and mythologies and different writings that were done by different philosophers. And the further back you go, the less of them there were, so the Library of Nineveh contained a lot of these things, and I think that uh, we there were a lot of people around that were living at that time that were heavily documented, that were heavily uh, noticed by other people, they were written about by other people, the right their writings were taken and rewritten by other people there's no actual living account of jesus living in the middle east at that time by anybody other than the texts that were collected that were then put into the new testament that were used for those books so there's there's a lot of people who are living around that time that everybody is familiar with and um to, but to, what about to, the uh, idea
1: that that jesus was i mean you're 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 i mean i i <laughs> I, I see where you're going with
2: this. There's a Couple of things, there's, but there's also the fact that his story is a complete representation and a, uh, of the similar stories of the dying and resurrecting God. It's the um, it's the fertility God, and this fertility God is actually a mushroom, and that's what the whole. That's why there couldn't have been a Jesus, just like there couldn't have been a Buddha, just like there couldn't have been. Um, a lot of the spiritual teachers, the idea, it, it was modeled after the spirituality that you gain from taking the mushroom itself, and that was the teacher. So the teacher was mythologized and embodied into some sort of a, a deity, which was given a persona, and these, the persona was expressed in different ways through mythology. And so this was a carry on and a tradition that was carried on since way before even Babylonia and Samaria, before Egypt, before Babylonia, before Samaria, we had these stories of the dying and resurrected fertility God and the sacred marriage of the heaven and the earth. And these are themes that are constant throughout all mythology. Um, it's, it's,
1: I mean, I'm not doubting what you're saying. I just, this idea that Jesus and Buddha and all these people were fake people, I guess is where I differ in my opinion. I think you're looking at this from a strictly like Roman Catholic perception of Jesus when, I, I mean, are you familiar with the Gnostic texts or the, oh, the absolutely.
2: There's a lot of that in my book that's covered. Absolutely. So that's like good. the
1: idea, like Jesus wasn't just some dude that stayed in, you know, Israel or the, you know, Gaza Strip area, you know, like he, he, he was, if you're looking at it from a, a Gnostic standpoint, or even there's other texts. There, I don't know if you're familiar with your Urantia Papers, where it chronicles his journeys through the Middle East to, you know, India and, uh, you know, Greece and, and all those locations. Well, so we could
2: start with the Gnostic texts if you want for a second, because sure. um, yeah. yeah, the the, um, the Jesus that was in the Gnostic texts was because that was the new mythology of of Jesus was the new character of of Post, like dynastic Egypt, when coming into uh, Rome in, through Greece in early Roman times, there was a creation of this, and what happened was Rome took it over. It was a natural evolution of things. It was it was uh, the, um, the there was a Messiah figure within Judaism. There was a, there was, this was the speaking and the teaching of the Gnostics at that time. What Rome did was just usurp that from the people by consecrating it into a religion and something that was being forced to worship. And what they did was they took a mushroom deity, Rome did, and they turned it into a solar deity. So what had previously been understood as a mushroom deity in Greece, in pre-Hellenic Greece, in in post-Hellenic in Hellenic Greece, he was turned into a, a, a grape and wine deity, as Dionysus was. Dionysus being originally a mushroom deity, so. Jesus was just a carryover of, the, of that particular deity, and Rome had just usurped that by taking it away from the people, by saying, by turning him into a solar deity, by claiming that the Egyptians were involved in solar worship, and this was an extension of the ancient solar worship of the Egyptians. When actually, one of the things that I've discovered in my research is that there was and I, I get into this a lot more in the book, so I don't want to go too deep too sure, into yeah. it right now, but that there was never actually a solar or a, a lunar worship, that that was one of the biggest lies in the history of religion, and it has a lot to do with the mushroom and, why, and how they covered up the mushrooms.
1: Can I, can I ask you a question now? So yeah. your premise is that none of these things are real, but these people that experienced these entities on these psychedelic, you know, substances wouldn't it then i mean based on you know i think even dennis mckenna said this if you experience it is it not real so if somebody experienced christ or christ consciousness or jesus in a dmt realm in a psilocybin realm does that not make it real
2: sure it's real but then again anything you believe is real so if you're so uh, but that's what i
1: guess what i'm asking is like do you believe in there's a metaphysical at all or is
2: absolutely person- oh man yeah i mean i i played with ghosts when i was a kid we used to oh, have but yeah was- but
1: that, the, 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 that's my point do you get where i'm going with this so like if you experience it and it's real is it then you're saying jesus never existed maybe he exists in the metaphysical
2: well, he can exist in anybody's mind, and they're entitled to that, and I wouldn't take that away from anybody. If they want to believe something, you know, people believe in in fairies, people believe in sure. Santa Claus, people yeah. believe in, in the tooth fairy. You know, so, so you know, the thing is that adults believe in in, in Jesus, and just like children believe in Santa Claus. Right. So I think that I, I, I see it that way. I see it as Doesn't, adults. Doesn't
1: uh, Santa Claus adults. comes from the... Uh... Siberian shaman use of amanita muscaria, you know, and the the reindeer even eat it, and they drink the reindeer's urine after it's been processed. And
2: oh uh, yeah, that has a lot to do with it. Activates know. the
1: muscimol, and you sure,
2: know. sure, sure. But I don't know that actually there was. Um, I mean, the idea of Santa was grafted, not uh, not particularly necessarily on the shaman itself, but also, but that was a part of it. Sure, but it was also on on uh, on. uh, on, uh, uh the uh th- the thunder gods and their horror they're eh, i get into it in the book it's something okay I, I'm not, there's certain things that i'm actually not too good with details and my memory and i sure. can't um, my memory
1: isn't the best so I, okay. I, I really, oh, it's,
0: cool. it's live everybody yeah. you know
1: it's- yeah no i was just <laughs> curious but uh so so you you know it sounds like i mean i look I'm, op- I'm an open-minded person. I, I think that you're on, you're, you're probably onto something, but I don't, I mean, like I said, I think yeah, it's still obviously. a possibility that some of these people still walk the earth, whether they were some divine, like when I say Jesus was, Jesus could have just been a, a, a smart, intelligent dude that was enlightened by philosophy and different things and traveling around, you know, kind of like a modern day journeyman, you know, so when i say that i don't necessarily mean he was the son of god and he rose from the dead i mean there could have been an actual guy that lived that was an inspiration and also this other thing that you're talking about which is the basis of religion you know like you get what i'm saying it
2: would be too great of a coincidence that this that that this would occur when the speaking the actual writings of jesus um some of them were the identical writings of buddha And also how he spoke directly, directly about how he was speaking in parables. And the parables he was speaking about that are in the Bible, that when he's speaking several times, he's speaking directly as if he's the mushroom. And that's something that somebody who wasn't a representative of the mushroom would never coincidentally say. And once you really see all of the different pieces of evidence lined up together and you understand the mythology really, really well, it becomes a lot easier to see the, the uh, w- my position where I can't accept that there was a living person that fulfilled those roles, that did those things. The um the, you know the turning of water into wine is taking that urine and and taking that mushroom and drinking it and become or it's it's one of two things it can be represented as taking that mushroom and drinking it and having the urine and that that water now becomes wine because it will now get you intoxicated and it can also be when you uh, soak the amanita in the uh uh in the water. In order to uh, extract the metabolites from it, uh, some people don't eat it as the cap itself. They'll put it in the water, and when they do, it turns the water red, and it makes it blood red. So that's also the turning of the water into wine. But um, the history of all of the elements that became the religion of Christianity, which involved Jesus, were identical to the same things in Egypt with Horus or Osiris, yeah, that's and what we-
1: uh, Aaron voot's premise is about how osiris the, it's the connection to DMT because acacias yeah. prevalent in that area that they were extracting DMT, and that's why they, you know, um Osiris was basically reincarnated. And if you look at shama- uh, shamanic, you know, ancient sh- you know shamanism and sh- shamanic philosophy, you see um this thing that happens it's called going to the underworld where you get ripped into a million pieces similar to the the egyptian mythology and put back together you know when you come back to life so um there's a lot of similarities there and and, you know so i agree agree with you look i agree with you on a lot of fronts I, i guess maybe that's just the one point where I think that no, uh,
2: okay. I allow in my belief in philosophy, I allow I'm very allowing and accepting of what people believe and their religions. And if they want to believe in these things, then I respect that. I don't I'm not trying to disrespect religions. No, or I get what you're saying. Religion by saying that I just I have to be very truthful and direct. And I've had a lot of people in the past. I've tried to figure out where they were at about certain things and they pussyfoot around and say, well, you know, maybe Jesus lived, maybe he didn't, but blah, blah, right. blah. It's because they're afraid to say what they truly believe. And but what about I, like other, you know, e- I'm, just, e- I'm not afraid to, so I'll just say, but what about it, but,
1: like other evidence too? So like, you know, they found the Pontius Pilate stone, um, which obviously proves Pontius Pilate was a real person who is the person that executed Jesus. Um, so there's that. And like I said, what about all these, um, the The writings from Hebrew in, in in um you know different other cultures back then opposing Jesus and his teachings. Why would you Why would you write about some something that w- did not exist? Because in the
2: because, because the people were very familiar with the mushroom
1: on certain. Oh, well, why months. wouldn't they just say mushroom then? Like we don't. Oh, like that was no, people.
2: that was profane. That was that that was for not for the profane. That was like you know that was it's sacred. That's the word. That's God. That's the that's the literally the ancients believed that. The mushroom was God or goddess, and to represent the mushroom as it truly was 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 you know um, uh you know um it was not a uh an accepted type of thing it was it was very frowned on and so because that that was what was sacred so uh I what I have done is I have found that every single goddess and God all of them without exception. Are all mushroom gods and goddesses and they're all mushroom deities and the way I've been able to prove that and I've been able to collect that evidence is I have over a thousand images in my book of every single deity that you've ever heard of pretty much either holding a mushroom or as a mushroom or with the mushroom as a part of their person symbolizing the mushroom and I mean we're even talking about Osiris so Every one of these deities was, was an aspect of the mushroom goddess. I, I refer to it really as the goddess because that's, there were really no gods. Um, the idea of God came much later. And original religion started as an understanding of, of the cow goddess in the sky and the cow goddess giving her milk, um, causing us to, to call it the Milky Way. But we have um you know Hathor was one of those cow goddesses. Isis was represented as a cow goddess. She was also represented as a serpent goddess, and um a lot of these different things, all these aspects they're all aspects of the mushroom goddess and um the earth there was the marriage of the earth and the heavens, so one of them took on a male aspect, and one of them took on a feminine aspect, one of them took on a a bird aspect, one of them took on a serpent aspect um, but these were um these, all of the deities were actually just the mushrooms. So when they cut up Osiris, spread, put him into a million pieces, and, and, and uh, Isis had to go put it back together, this story really is representing the cutting up of the mushroom, spreading it along into the field to uh, like the first, firstborn sons and the sacrifice in order to uh, create progeny and fruit, uh, fruitfulness in, uh, in um, uh, children and offspring in the because that spreading the spores out would allow the mushrooms to be to come up again next year when they you know when it would rain again for the next season so uh uh, what a lot even what a lot of people consider to be the fertility rites of the celebrations of the different seasons were really i found actually mushroom celebrations because if you think about it the ability to find and use the mushroom came much before the ability to organize and start to cultivate plants and start to grow food so foraging and and hunting came before uh, uh, gardening and actually crop harvesting so if they were it was very likely much more likely that that, that the harvest celebrations were actually mushroom fertility uh, celebrations originally
1: yeah, I mean it's interesting for sure. Um... I mean, but we now know, you know, there was some sort of land cultivation going all the way back to Gobekli Tepe was 11,600 years ago. Um, right, and
2: also the, those pillars that you look at that exist at Gobekli Tepe are mushroom pillars. And that's something so? that... Yeah, because people are not pointing these things out because they're not noticing them. Um, their, their mushroom symbolism is actually everywhere. It's... What, the, people are looking for maybe one form of that symbolism sometimes. And they have to bend their mind a little bit because the mushroom was represented in many different ways. But if you look at those pillars, those are tea pillars. Those right. are mushroom pillars. And there are similar pillars that are uh gravestone pillars that exist in Scandinavia and different places uh uh throughout the world. There um uh, at uh yoke there's uh, there's also those uh similar things those were several thousand years uh later yeah but um, the
1: t the t pillars were cut away i mean it was relief cutting so like they had the yeah, ability to, to, to i know but what i'm saying is is it doesn't really i mean a t pillar i guess you could kind of say it looks like a mushroom what but very Wait, crude
0: couldn't that, be some, uh, couldn't that be some of the human pareidolia
1: play? pareidolia um pareidolia? I, but here, here, here but what i was going to say is if they had the ability to relief carve uh, alligators and birds and foxes and all the stuff that are on the pillars. Why not just make it look like a mushroom? Because
2: the the point was, like I just said, you don't actually make anything representative exactly the, of the mushroom. That was that was not that you taboo. know it was just, it was taboo. Exactly, it was it was not something that you did. So you you created different ways to represent the mushroom, and that's how we developed art.
1: Yeah, I we mean. All- well, there's then? definitely mushrooms in cave art. we know that I mean that's
2: well, yeah exactly and 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 a lot we overlook um one of the one of the discoveries that I made was that a lot of our tools and a lot of our uh things that we take for granted today that we use were actually came from the mushroom directly, um such as the shape of our coin and the fact that we put ridges around the side of the coins. The early Greek coins, uh, the early Indian coins, at 600 BC, were square-shaped punch mark coins that had mushrooms on them. But within just a couple centuries, the Greeks were making rounded coins now, and they were putting the heads on some of these coins with ridges on their heads, just like they were mushroom figures. Then they moved those ridges to the edge of the coin, And now the the ridge of the gills of the inside of the cap of the mushroom, the coin is the mushroom cap, and the ridges around the edges are the gills. And then they developed arrows and spears, and they developed uh, hammers and axes and shields and wheels, and all of these things came So you think
1: your hypothesis is that the mushroom is is literally the basis of- all civilization
2: yes i'll also and i i show that and i i prove that with evidence from the ancient glyphs the rock art the stellas the uh uh artifacts the coins and even the christian art
1: sure well no i mean i i appreciate your dedication and uh you know you're going hard at this which i mean look if you're gonna do something and make a statement and make a point you might as well go all the way and sell out on it and just you know, make it I mean I'm I'm not saying you don't believe it. I believe that you believe it, but I'm saying I, I appreciate your your um
2: Well actually I didn't believe half I didn't know what I a lot of what I came to the conclusion of before I started on the hundred books research only starting sure. in twenty sixteen in January. Did you
1: read uh Hamlet's Mill as part of that research?
2: No. No, that wasn't one of them.
1: So i think that there's some stuff in there i've read it a couple of times uh, with ancient mythology and the correlations between all the ancient flood myths and all that kind of stuff hamlet's mills ha- it's called hamlet's mill uh, by giorgio de santiana it's um I'll look into it it, al- it also has archaeoastronomy bu- you know in there but it, it's literally you know covers a lot of the stuff that we're talking about with, between like gobekli tepe and ancient like all that kind of, all the gilgamesh all the flood stuff so, yeah, it sounds interesting. Um, yeah, you should definitely check it out. Um, but yeah, no, like I said, I appreciate you going hard at this. Because um, whether we agree or not, I think that it's important when you're writing a book or when you're doing research that you have an objective. Now, you know, there's, I, I, I think we all will agree that we don't like when somebody has that objective but then shoves it down everybody's throat. But I think you have a different approach, which is I'm going to put this out there. You know, you believe what you want to believe, but this is what I believe. Kind of. Right. Oh
2: yeah, At, uh, it's always been my attitude for sure. I um, I I only actually, I mean, I believed in ancient aliens and reptilians before I started on this track. I was I was a full blown mind control victim. and uh i you know just like a lot of us we've you know succumbed to propaganda and brainwashing and manipulation through religious organizations good thing about
1: ancient i'll say this about ancient aliens it's opened up people to think like gobekli tepe like nobody nobody knew what gobekli tepe was before ancient aliens
2: yeah you know i i came up with a saying and i i will stick to this it's a I, i like this quote a lot blessed be the myth makers for they have concealed the myths behind Hollow ho- holy doors of Swiss cheese <laughs> because uh, 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 they've concealed the mysteries behind the holy doors of Swiss cheese. Right. It's uh, it's um, they what they've done is they they create a way to carry on the tradition of the mushroom mythology but they disguise it and they o- put overlays on top of it to gain new audiences and that's what the christians did and that's what the ancient alien people are doing
1: yeah i mean i think that the if you go on a lot of these ancient because look i promote our stuff online and i'm on these forums and see all the stuff whether it's reddit or facebook or whatever um and some of the people on ancient alien like pages and and just alien pages are are pretty rabid. You know, it's like, I have an open mind. I personally don't believe in the ancient alien that they built everything and did this and did that. Um, I'm more in the school of um, the probability of life in the universe is infinite. So I believe that there's life out there. Um, To what extent have they been visiting? I don't know. I have no proof for that. I have seen weird things and lucid dreams and psychedelic experiences that I would consider alien or, you know gray archetype in nature but i don't really classify that as real hard evidence because i can't show that to somebody so right
2: right uh, well yeah no I, i i was um very into a lot of that stuff most of my life and it wasn't until i dove really really deep into mythology where i was able to start to understand how uh the different things that were uh, a lot of things that we're subjected to um, have a lot of mythological roots and they've just been twisted in different ways. So once you, what I do is I give people, I give the readers of my book, the keys, the keys to the mysteries. I give them the, the, the ability to, to find, to understand the knowledge and unravel the myths for themselves, because I teach them how to, how to read the myths by giving them the myths in not paraphrasing them, not telling them this is what the Sumerians and this is what the Babylonians wrote about. I actually take excerpts from those myths and I give them to you to read. So when you're done reading them, you know, this isn't this person telling me that this was what the myths said. I, I understand the myths now and I understand how they relate to each other and what the similarities are. And by doing that, you can you learn to read them all for yourself. So I I don't think I have to tell anybody what to believe. I think once people finish reading the book, they'll have enough information where they can actually objectively form their own belief systems around new information and what they want to accept some of it, reject some of it. That's going to be up to them, but there's going to be enough evidence there to where it's more supported than any other, uh, uh, anything else that's being offered in the same area. So,
1: um, No, no, I, like I said, I appreciate that, that outlook when you're, you know, you want to be objective, but like I said, not cram it down people's throats. And I think that's very important when you're trying to, um, not necessarily get people on your side, but just, you know, kind of change people's minds or at least open them up to a paradigm shift, you know? Um,
2: There's a lot of confusion too. And one of the things I do is I really try to separate, um, I I try to deal with that confusion. I take, I, I separate what we know absolutely from what we don't know, absolutely. Sure. And when you do that, you, you're much closer at finding the truth than when you mix the two together, because uh, um, there's a lot of things that we do know, and there's a lot that we don't know. And we should stick with what we know for sure. Um, for instance, there's a big difference between UFOs and flying saucers. Mm-hmm. And What people need to understand is that that's 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 a big part of where the 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 propaganda comes in and the mind control comes in is because people are taking the two and mixing them together a big part of the ufo crowd doesn't believe that there are um living ethereal uh you know phenomena in the atmosphere and they want to believe that aliens have to come here through physical spaceships through physical space and that the extraterrestrial or alien is physical yeah, and, I think it's uh,
1: consciousness based. I mean, we've talked about that a lot on on here before, um, even with uh, alien researchers. Which is, I mean, my personal belief is, like I said, it's it's consciousness based, whether it's dreaming or lucid dreaming or psychedelic use. I know a lot of people, you know, meet the DMT entities, whether they're jesters or gray aliens or religious archetypes. Um, so I think that that is consciousness based. I also think that, and I've talked about this before, when you're looking, okay, so you know, if you have a UFO sighting, or let's say you see something in the sky, you can't explain it. If you took a picture of it, maybe that picture comes out as nothing. However, our brains are different. We're, our, our eyeballs aren't lenses. We're It's literally a perception signal. You know, it's getting sent through your optical nerve into your brain and upside down. So there's a whole sensory perception thing that's involved that isn't just looking at th- something through a lens. So I think that The way we process stuff in our brains is important to that nature of seeing something like that.
2: Also, there's the spectrum. There's the visible spectrum. Sure, yeah. Not necessarily an interdimensional thing, which a lot of people are are mistakenly being. No, we can't from. see
1: ultraviolet light. I mean, that exactly. can give you cancer, you know.
2: <laughs> exactly, and there are UFOs. that the UFO flies around and exists in that spectrum of frequency, which we can't visibly see. That's in that we can see with with infra infrared. And the Navy or the, the, um, the U S military discovered this back in the 1940s. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, the work of Trevor James Constable. Um, no, and, never,
1: and but I was going to yeah. point out the recent TTSA to the stars Academy footage, the go fast video and the Nemitz video, all that kind of stuff, how yeah. they use the forward looking infrareds and in our you know, most advanced, what are the F 16 Hornets? Um, yeah. And they're able to capture, you know, something that looks like a Tic Tac, you know, could be a flying saucer from a different angle.
2: Yeah, yeah, there was, um, uh, there's, you know, definitely, uh, we have UFOs and there's a belief and an understanding that they're, you know, that they're alive. That's a living um, type of like a sky fish, and that they live in the atmosphere. And um,
1: do you think and- I've never actually never, I've never heard that. Can you, can you? elaborate on that because i've i've never heard that take on it before i've heard that a ufo could be something consciousness based that is its own thing but i've never heard it as like a possibly an evolved living thing that lives within our atmosphere or something
2: yeah it's um i believe it to be an um um a morphing uh, something that has the ability to morph and it can take on different um, shapes, it can take on animal creatures, it can take on apparitions um, as well, like uh, not that all Bigfoot are necessarily that, but it could take on an apparition like that or something similar. Um, they they were seen basically once the, um, they were photographed in the 1950s by Wilhelm Reich and Wilhelm Reich developed a, a cloud buster what he called a cloud buster and there's pictures of them if you look around for them where they're shooting these things down with orgone energy and there were some studies and research that found that these were div- these were actually forms of orgone energy and uh, uh they uh they were all around Wilhelm Reich's lab in the 50s when he was doing his work in the sky and there was different things that were going on in, in the atmosphere around him a lot and uh, 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 Trevor uh, picked up that research and put a really good book together called The Cosmic Pulse of Life and uh, these are some of the books that I, I you know, use in my research that I use in the book and I use as evidence to show different things. Um, there's an etheric, a whole etheric Uh, world right beyond our vision and our eyes and uh, this is it's a sub material uh, uh, frequency so there's a whole range of living entities that are in that and they're not necessarily it's not another dimension they're not necessarily they're not physical completely but it's a frequency that's just below ours that's right next to us so
1: So do you think that's something just completely different than us in the sense, or do you think that that's maybe what happens to us when we die, we become one of these sub-particle, sub-frequency beings?
2: Mm, I don't personally believe that. Um, there's all kinds of spiritual beliefs that involve uh, things like the ethereans. Um, the founder of Borderlands Research, um, can't remember his name at the moment, but he was one of the first people to start to discuss this uh, and bring it up to the public in the 50s. Um, uh uh jacques valet uh yeah. is also a really good writer um he's yeah, got read some, some of stuff. stuff yeah when you when you really study and, and also john keel um like yeah the, the eighth mothman tower.
1: prophecy yeah
2: and the eighth tower also is a really oh, good one. um yeah <laughs> yeah that yeah. creep
1: that we in high school we saw that we got all high went to go see it and it blew our minds we're like even though it was a hollywood movie and i'm sure it wasn't really true uh i, I know it wasn't really true in every way to to John Keel's work but it just it was creepy you know
2: yeah 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 it's a you know there's there's a lot of stuff that going on on the planet like um you know um missing 411 um I'm spacing his name at the moment again but there's there's you know people do go missing and there are abductions and there it, it is a lot of that going on there's also you know a government aspect to it too so Uh, um, I think that basically, I think what I can say is, I think that the DMT in our brains has just uh, the, uh, the mushroom has a great influence on, um, on a lot of this and works through uh, communicating to us through the DMT in our brains. And I think that um, sometimes, what we're seeing is we see what we believe and the mushroom can read our minds because we have the DMT in our brain. It's like we have a a symbiotic relationship with the mushroom the same way that it has a symbiotic relationship with the pine tree and it grows in, in harmony with it. And I think through the DMT in our brain, That I think mushrooms started all the life on this planet. Are you
1: talking about like how Amanita muscaria grows in pine forest, that kind of a
2: thing? Right, right. I think the mushrooms started came here on spores, and it's the only real spaceship. Um, They might use meteors um, as their spaceship, but they but they control and guide those meteors consciously when they're coming here, and they're on spores. And they land on a, a a piece of rock where the environment's right, and they start start to take hold. So basically,
1: it, pan- panspermia then is is that kind of your philosophy on that whole thing?
2: I guess so, to to a lesser or greater degree. Or yeah. direct
1: or directed panspermia?
2: Yeah, somewhat like that. Yeah. Um, the, I are think, you a
0: are you a proponent of the stoned ape theory or?
2: Actually, my theory is a little bit different than that. Um, I think Sorry that to you, but. no, that that's, I I think that the mushroom is in control of how the DNA sequences unlock along the way. And since all of us shared the DMT in us, along with plants and animals, and we also share that D- DNA um, as well, uh, that all of us have the same DNA, but it's a different unlocking of that code um and i I like the work of graham hancock um he's one of the people i respect the most in the whole community of alternative uh
1: we're we're huge fans for sure i've read all of his books
2: yeah he he discusses this a little bit in supernatural but um I, i i've taken it a little further in other directions with my my own like uh Visions and ideas and stuff, but it's very close to that, and I've gotten some of my ideas from from some of his ideas too, with when it comes to some of this. they led me to some of my conclusions. And I think that the basically everything on this planet has uh, uh has, is an unfolding and an unlocking of that DNA sequence through the mushroom's conscious intention to set up a new species at a particular time. So I think that we got to a certain time when the, 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 the Neanderthal man was able to walk the earth and was able to make all the decisions and do all the things that he's able to do and that it wasn't the mushroom that changed it. It was the new unfolding and unlocking of a DNA sequence that created a new man, the Cro-Magnon man. Uh, that, uh, that was a different form of man that was a, one that could take the mushroom and utilize it to do the things that we are able to do now. So that's why we have so many different varieties of plants and animals and things on this planet, and we can't figure out which came first, the chicken or the egg, is because it came at a spontaneous moment when the mushroom intended it to e- evolve and unravel
1: the DNA sequence. So my question now is, what what's the so evolutionary? You know, on the evolutionary scale, we're pretty we're closer to the mushroom, I believe, than we are closer to certain plants and animals. I, I believe if I'm not mistaken. What do you think is what's your premise for this whole thing? Like, where is this going with the mushroom thing? Is it alien technology, like a Terrence McKenna kind of a, a vibe, or is it something? Beyond that, or do you not know yourself, and you're just putting these pieces well, together? Like know, going I, just,
2: from I there. have a lot more about my own theories in the end of the book, which is okay. kind of like what I what I one of the things that I want people to be able to find on their own and and read sure. and be surprised and enlightened by, because you know it's at the very end of the book, and it's they've already opened up their minds at this point, and they you know with all the different things that I presented, so uh, you know it's a ripe moment at that time for some of those theories and things and. That's kind of like, it's 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 good stuff for the book, for people that read the book that they'll enjoy finding when they get to and, and maybe, you know, entertaining their minds with the possibilities of. And I just prefer to leave it as kind of like the dessert, you know? No, you know?
1: no, I I don't want you to say anything that's going to ruin, you know, the yeah. surprise of your book at all. I was just curious if you had an end game or like a theory of everything with this or if it was just putting, connecting all these dots and then going from there kind of
2: thing. No, pretty much it is a holistic um a holistic theory. It's a it, it pretty much ties everything together, I think. Um throughout the book, you get you get more and more clues to things that uh you were that were not really established before that end up creating a whole new paradigm and understanding of um our past, our, our present, and even our future.
1: Nice, nice. Now what what are your thoughts on um a couple couple things I wanted to ask you what are your thoughts on the possibility of simulation theory that we're all binary and this is all just some sort of biological simulation of some sort or you
2: know those are are, i love philosophy i love to philosophize about um the unknown and about the things based on what we do know and, and the science fiction and the ideas and stuff and um you know we can think about things like that but they don't necessarily do us much good in the end as far as like moving forward. But, well, but pretty, I mean, I mean, I think it's important about about it for sure. No, I'll engage that. I think that the. But what the,
1: about like going forward in the sense that we're going to create artificial intelligence or forget artificial We're going to create simulations that are so real. You might be not in the future. I mean, 100, 200, 300 years from now, you might not be able to distinguish reality from this simulated world. Um, if that's the case then how come it isn't a possibility that we're already in such a thing?
2: Well, first of all, it's already like that for people who don't take psychedelics. They're they're you know they're they're, they're they in don't, a matrix. They don't, they're, yeah, they're in that matrix and they don't realize right. they can step out of that matrix so as it is. And that also we're microcosms of the universe itself and all the stars and all the galaxies and all the atoms out there, you know, right. the same that are in our body. So when you look at it that way, it doesn't really matter. But the the um but as far as could this be an experiment and a constructed reality for us to uh get lost in or that we're kind of like separated in that sense and that we're going to be even more separated i think we're definitely going to be more separated in the future and without psychedelics and the access to them we're not going to know how to get back to our true selves And. Um, It's fine to go off into the virtual reality spaces and explore all that, but we shouldn't be spending too much time doing it. And, you know, the use of psychedelics will allow us to remember that that's not the real reality, that that's a playground. And they'll also remind us that this is a playground too. So you don't want to take any playground too seriously. So it's it's going to be really dangerous in the future for people who aren't using psychedelics to get lost in those virtual worlds because if you look at those people today look at what they're me- a mess they're making on the internet.
1: <laughs> so. Oh yeah, of course. Well, I think it's just one. Well, yeah, I mean I think it's just a lack of mindfulness, a lack of understanding and you're right. I mean, people that do psychedelics generally have a more open mindset and more willing to address people on different levels in a kind, you know, understanding way um as opposed to your everyday guy that goes to work comes home gets on facebook and starts taking a dump on people um right Right. yeah exactly that's exactly what i'm talking about exactly but but and then the other thing is is what what's your um do you think, do you believe there is some sort of creator or do you think it's like an infinite giant's marble scenario we're just part of of a molecule that's part of another, you know, when I started
2: all this, I, I, you know, I was, I knew in my own heart and in my soul and in my being that Jesus was a mushroom. I knew that the ancient believed that the son of God was a mushroom, but I didn't understand yet quite that the ancient people actually believed that Um, God and goddess was a mushroom that that was the understanding in the ancient world that 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 there was no other way that there was no other belief system for thousands of years that that's what all the people believe and understood and knew it was kind of like a common thing that's why uh, it's it's difficult to see it's when you see the evidence of all of it going back in all the cultures and all the places that starts to make a little more sense but the, uh, the way that they represented it and the way they wrote about it, and not just in the symbolism and the artwork and stuff, but in the artifacts and in the glyphs and the cave art, but also how they wrote about it in the mythologies and in the, uh, the Greek philosophers and, um, and even some of the Christian theologians. Uh, So you have an understanding that the mushroom was God throughout the ancient world and that it was the the divine, the divinity, the ever-present, the all-knowing, the one eye um, in the sky, uh, that it was always the mushroom. So uh, that all the myths revolved around it, that everything we think when we're thinking about the ancient people and they're referring to God or their deities or their goddesses, they're referring to the mushroom, and if we once we really understand that, we, we it becomes clear this is what the ancient people believed. So, what I say is, who am I to argue with them?
1: Right. Well, I mean, look, I mean, it all comes down. You know, we still need I mean, you know, your books obviously interesting. Sounds like from, you know when it'll be finished and thought provoking. But I think we still do, and and I find I find that it's hard for me to find this balance, but a balance between science, philosophy and some sort of personal spirituality um and it's hard to get that mixture right but i think that um well that's what
2: religion's for religion's for the people who don't have that spiritual access through the mushroom and that that's why the priesthood came in and to put themselves yeah the conduit
1: between yeah of course yeah i mean look i agree with you on, on a lot of points with the whole church thing don't get me wrong i a lot of stuff you were saying made sense and a lot of stuff i agree with growing up in the catholic church i think that There's a lot of stuff. It's like, why am I doing this? Why can't I eat meat on (laughs) Friday during lunch? Like, this is fucking stupid, you know? Like, so, so like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm with you, but I just certain things, certain aspects of it. I, I, I personally believe because of historical texts and I know you're saying that there's not a whole lot of evidence, but there is some, and I'm big in the idea that if somebody's being wrote written about in a negative light, there there must be some correlation there. But that being said, I don't know. It could have just been a dude that they attributed to that. Or you could be right too. I'm open to that as well. And I can't wait to read your book for sure. So I you'll
2: really enjoy it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I love all this kind of stuff. Of course, anything having to do with ancient civilizations and psychedelics and consciousness. I, I love that's like my favorite stuff. So I will absolutely be one of the first people to buy your book. Uh, but hey,
0: you, did a, you did a good job of promoting it, man. You, I gotta, yeah, I got, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, read some of these theories and shit. You really
1: tickled <laughs> my ass with a feather here. Uh, <laughs> no, But yeah, I I think that, uh, I think, yeah, you've done a good job. And I I actually looked at your website and you've got a lot of interesting imagery and pictures uh, saved up on there. Anybody can go on there and check it out at ancientpsychedelia.com. But uh, yeah, I think, when is do you have an idea when you you think your book's going to come out?
2: Well, yeah, it's finished being written. Um, my cousin, uh, isn't, uh, he wanted, he was studying to become an editor. He graduated Berkeley. He's currently editing it right now. Um, and he's cool. we're about halfway done through getting through that. We anticipate, um, I, I think I'm going to be starting the Kickstarter campaign to raise the money to publish the book will be around the end of May, beginning of June. Um, I'm going to be passing out flyers on dead tour on the West coast. So I'm going to be making sure that people, you know, know where to go for the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, And I'll have a booth set up at shows and where I have the image pages that I've made uh, with all some of the images people can see and show them what I'm working on. And I hope to maybe take a month and a half to raise the money for that. And that would put us around. uh, uh, It's going to take a couple months to, get the book shipped from China back here with the pu- with the publishing with the way it goes it's the only affordable way to publish things these days now is overseas sure. so it takes a couple months for that so we're looking at about 4 months approximately from now for till people could have the book in their hands the Kickstarter campaign i'm working on now on a DVD where i take all the images and i've affixed the data and the information about those images. And I'm going to be doing a a picture image by image, um, lecture where I show and show you exactly where the symbolism is in these images, because a lot of times you won't see it right away when you're looking at them and I'll be guiding the viewer through the information and knowledge as we go through. The video will be available as part of the Kickstarter campaign too. It'll be a product that's sold separately from the book. We'll have a poster as well of the cover of the book that's made up, that's signed by the artist and numbered, that we'll be giving out for as part of that campaign. Uh, but um, the book will be very information rich with a good amount of image symbolic support, but it'll have all the knowledge uh, in the book. Uh, the video will be more image oriented for an image; it's more richer in symbolism and teaching through that method. So. There are two different methods of teaching and education that I'm going to be working on to try to get the information out. And They'll both have a different value to themselves and what they have you you won't have nearly as much information and knowledge of the myths and the exactness and the details and You know all the solid research that's going on in the video. That'll be in the book You won't have you will have about 300 more images in the video Plus you'll have the in-depth teaching of those images and how they relate to the gods and goddesses and the mythologies as I go through them
1: nice Well, yeah, Yeah. when you get the Kickstarter started, just send me a message and I'll add the link to this video.
2: Appreciate Um, it very much.
1: And, uh, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I think it's super thought provoking and I think that uh, it's right up our alley in terms of what we've, you know, been talking about on this podcast a lot between psychedelics and DMT and all that kind of stuff. Um,
0: But we've been talking about it too a lot. Like you guys start thinking outside the box, you know, we're we're running into this wall with all kinds of science and, what have you so we need right to get but i think we practice.
1: do need science too because i think that there's certain observational things that science presents that help concoct oh, know, yeah, yeah. These ideas. oh yeah 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 so I, I think you need like i said for you know the spirituality the science and the philosophy i think you need those the the holy trinity if you will sure <laughs> oh, bro, yeah oh, bro <laughs> um yeah. but but uh yeah no I, I but you know i think that uh you're definitely on something i mean look i like i told you i'm writing a book it's it's similar in the sense that it involves ancient civilizations and psychedelics, but it's very different in the sense of what your objective is and what my objective is. But I appreciate where you're coming from. And like I said, I, lo- I love your um, conviction and, and your, you know, your willingness to put that out there and that this is your theory. Um, because like he, Maurice just said, I mean, you know, in the philosophy of science at some point, there's going to be so much evidence that, that bottles up that it's almost, impossible to ignore it. And then there you have a paradigm and that's a scientific revolution. So I think that, right. you know, you need this kind of thinking in, in that manner, uh, to, cause everybody wants to look outward. We want to look at the edge of the universe. We want to look at like what's outside the, is there a multiverse? Is there, the, you know, it's far, far, far further, further, further. But I think that a lot of answers lie within, you know? So I think that, uh, you know, the whole psychedelic, uh, aspect of it, I think is important for sure.
2: Well, definitely. The answer does lie within. And that's one of the biggest problems that I think we need to get over and learn about to evolve is that we don't need to seek all these answers outside of us. They are all inside of us. And if we ask ourselves, does this resonate, does this does this information resonate with me, Do I, does this feel like the truth, and we ask ourselves that when we encounter different things, we should be able to respond in a way we should get an answer from within, in our gut, in our right, in our gut, our intuition should tell us, because I've learned to trust mine over the years, and when I came upon, the, I've been a very serious student of truth. I have no, I've never cared about anything but the truth. And being a uh, conspiracy researcher, I, I'm a, I love puzzles. So that brings me into conspiracies and I like to solve the puzzles. So when I think I have the answer and I think I have the truth, that's not enough for me. Sure. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go deeper and deeper and deeper until I fleshed out every possibility. And I've meditated on it and I've thought about it and I've, I really dig dig and dig to get to the bottom of the truth and science actually is is not something that i cast off at all i think i use a lot of scientific evidence for the ufo's and a lot of the the, the phenomena that we're dealing with in the book and i support the scientific method i think we we need it and it, it it's gotten us to where we are i don't think it's a bunch of junk or anything like that um it it, it they need new ways to test for the paranormal phenomena in the science world for sure uh, but they don't apply that because you know it challenges their personal ideas you have
1: people though like uh dean radin i don't know if you're familiar with his book real magic um he's he's doing a lot of psi research using cutting-edge you know, technology. I'm not
2: familiar with him, but I am with Joe Gallenberger. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I,
1: I have not. I assume though they're probably in a similar type of field. But I, Dean, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, Dean. Dean's more occult magic type stuff, but his books a lot of basis about like ancient mythology and how it correlates to modern day stuff and beliefs, and it's similar to what we're talking about, but from a different.
2: I'm going to yeah. read
1: that one that that that's that's new. that's. that's a one great one. book. i I actually really enjoyed it. so yeah, for sure. um and, uh, yeah, they do cool studies like, you know, the one where um you know, even Rupert Sheldrick, if you're familiar with his work, where, yeah. you know, like, can you tell if somebody's looking at you if you're not looking at them, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a a re- some study, and it was like fifty four percent people could recognize if somebody was so it's not. A ton, but fifty-four percent is more than half. So right, I mean, right. So, so it's stuff like that. So it's it's very yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, no. Thanks for coming on and uh, you know, we'll add the links and once you get your book up and running, we'll add the link to that too. And yeah, when you're, when you uh, release your book, we'll have you back on. Oh, I um.
2: appreciate it very much. I had a great, great time. And, and yeah, yeah, I
1: hope you didn't think we were going hard on you. I just, I always like oh, to no. all fired up, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I always play a little bit of devil's advocate. Cause the, the reason why is cause you see a lot of times you'll see on interviews where, you know, they're just, lob questions where it's like oh what's your book about blah 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 and i like to get down to the nitty-gritty and oh, understand why yeah why i know and I, I like to know why people think things the evidence behind it that made them think that that kind of stuff i just i find it interesting and i think it's more interesting to listen to so i hope you didn't feel like we came at you
0: because you guys Sorry, both, uh, have, have strong beliefs so you guys are going to stick up for what you you know you have
2: yeah, I respect. Actually, I respect everybody's beliefs. And, and you know, I don't if somebody wants to insist on to me, even that they believe in something like Santa Claus, I, I'm not going to sit there and yeah. try to convince them that they don't. You know what I mean? That that's impossible, that they're stupid or that they're that I think less of them or anything. It's, you know, like people were all at different places. And we're we're all on the same path, but we're at different places on that path. And in order for us to all move along comfortably on that path and to grow, we have to support each other and we have to be here for and to be open and, and have empathy about where each other one's at. And I think that's really important. So I don't I, I you yeah, know absolutely. I can go- I can go along with any conversation about or any debate about it and still maintain, you know, a good, you know, p- position that where I, I don't want anybody to feel, Yeah, you know, I'm not attacking anybody. I don't want, I'm not jumping on them. And, and no, I, you're I, spot if, on if, though. If you challenge, you know what I'm saying? I appreciate that because that's, that gives me a chance to go deeper and explain it further. And actually, you know, and then, maybe it'll give me a chance to realize that I don't know something and there's something I need to learn or listen to too. Sure. I'm already, always open to that. I don't know everything and um, I'm constantly learning and I'm a student of life myself.
1: Well, it sounds like you're a student of truth. Cause I would say that's the first thing you start with is what do I know? What do I not know? Kind of a thing, you know, what's absolute, what's not absolute, you know? So right. in that regard, what's the last truth, you know, is it, you know, Descartes, I think therefore I am, you know, cause really, We still don't know much beyond that. So, (laughs) um, but, uh, yeah, I I think it's super interesting. Uh, can't wait to check out the book and, um, check out his website again. I'll plug it one more time. Ancient psychedelia.com. He's got some cool imagery. Um, uh also, correlated to what we discussed today what what was that sorry
2: uh, also if people are interested in looking what i at what i did in the past um in my in in conspiracy research i've written several articles and i've written certain things but they're available um to look at occultmatrix dot okay cool
1: uh that's yeah. all old,
2: that's all old information though and it's all you know some of the stuff is from a mindset of you know what I what I used to think and where I used to be, but it, it just should give people an idea that of what I've been through and what I've been studying and where I've been along my path.
1: Look, that's, that's part of it, right? That's, we all go through journey. that. You know, we're all on this journey. Like I said, if you watch our first, we did one of our first episodes. Are you familiar with the Urantia papers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I am. So, I actually
2: mentioned that in my book. It's one of the things. That's so my-
1: that's one of the main reasons why, why I started this podcast. Um, I was reading something about Jerry Garcia and it's like Jerry Garcia. And obviously we're, I'm a musician. Jerry Garcia is one of my guitar heroes. Um,
2: oh, yes, mine too.
1: And, uh, he, I read that he read it avidly. And then I looked online. It's like, Jimi Hendrix had copies. He brought everywhere with him. Steve Ray Vaughan read it. H- and Hendrix
2: and, and Garcia are the only two ascended masters. I consider on this. <laughs> <And> <laughs> but, those are the two like, you know, right, right. Those but are they, the greats right but, there. But
1: they, um, but they read it and they, they had some sort of affinity to it. And I think I even read an, in, uh, or watched an interview where Jerry Garcia. They asked him about like some sort of metaphysical or if he believes in God, he said something he believed in some sort of praying mantis, um, uh, insectoid type thing. And I think it was, related to a dmt uh, experience he had so there's a lot of weird stuff going on there but i like their urantia papers because i feel like it fills in i mean is it real is it not real i don't think it matters it's really hard to read but there's a lot of cool you know um, or a lot of truth in that and a lot of explanation like if you go back and say who's this melchizedek person is it an archetype you know, was it a real person? Um, in the Bible, he's, it's an order of high priest, you know? So like we were super, um, into that when we first started this. And for that matter, I mean, I still consider it one of the better compositions in the last couple hundred years in terms of syntax and the information and it's everything.
2: It's an amazing channel piece. It's, it's amazing, uh, that somebody, you know, I mean, there's, there are channels that can bring through some amazing information, um, it just
1: felt true, like when we when I read it, and I I know Maurice read it too. He was blown away. Um, and if anybody you know doesn't have access to buying it or whatever, you can also go on YouTube and they have each your ranch of paper um, one through however many there are. So, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's 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 definitely an interesting thing. But yeah, it's kind of how we got into all this. I mean, I had already, always been into like mysteries and ancient civilizations and that kind of stuff but this that book kind of catapulted us on a on a journey with truth and knowledge and stuff so
2: yeah it's uh whatever what you know that's one of the things that i encountered a long 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 time ago um i was big into uh channeled material i got into the ashtar command and seth material and romp and uh you mentioned that,
1: the ouija board too like what, what i've always wondered like i've played with ouija boards when i was younger but not in like a an occult setting or an occult set. And there's a lot of people that swear by it, that it's some sort of gateway or what's your thought on that? Just quickly before we uh, wrap it up. I,
2: I had no problems. I think that uh, if it has to do with what you believe and your fears and your, it's, it's a gateway to learning uh, from the, from the uh, uh, it's like an element of God or goddess. It's, it's an L ele- it's gonna, it's, What I did was, I would just, I, me and my mom would sit at the Ouija board together and we put our fingers over the planchet and it would start flying out from underneath our fingers. And we would have to stop to write down the letters (laughs) where it was going. But I would ask, you know, who are you and why are you here? And it turned out this, this particular entity, his name was Running Fox. He had died in a Sioux uprising when he was 13 years old. And he was here to teach me about spirit that's what he told me on the board and um and I would ask him could you prove that you're real do something to show us that you're here and it would only be me and my mom sitting at the table and forks or spoons would go flying from one end of the room to the other end of the room to give us signs anytime I would ask for it when we were sitting at the the board he was there to show me that you know that these were real things and I still don't know that it was ever outside of myself completely, but one thing I know is I was never afraid and I was never harmed by it. So sure. um,
1: yeah, there's a lot of people that say like evil it's like a gateway to hell, blah 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 blah. I was just curious what you thought on it., yeah, um,
2: I, you know, I think it's you have to be careful with them because they are a magnifier of your own fears or your own perceptions or dreams or ideas just like a lot of apparitions can be just like the ufo can be when you encounter it and and it interacts with you um i think that what what's going on is it's reading your mind and it's feeding back to you exactly the ideas and beliefs that you think. Uh, it's similar to where the guys went into Skinwalker Ranch with Bob Bigelow and they were trying to study the paranormal phenomena there. Then the people who went in there seeking peace, got peaceful results, and the people that went in with guns trying to find the ghost to shoot them kind of got that that attitude, got treated like that from the entities. And I think that the way that you uh, approach the paranormal or the unknown is exactly how the unknown reacts and treats you, because it's a a shadow or a reflection of your spirit and yourself that's going to teach you something. It becomes a magnifying glass. So I I would say people should be careful with them, but they, if they have a strong foundation and belief system and they're not in fear, I don't think they have anything to worry about.
1: Nice. Well, real quick too. So do you, um, do you believe that there's something like, do you believe that there's something after death or do you believe when we die, we become mushroom food?
2: i i think both but yeah i think <clears throat> we definitely become mushroom food i know that for a fact well yeah our physical <laughs> but, but do you think that
1: you know like the <laughs> no, dmt or those you know the the indigenous chemicals in our brain we, we is
2: reincarnate like, i believe in reincarnation for sure um there's too many stories of children
1: right that, yeah, that one kid with world war ii he was right. shot down yeah
2: yeah yeah those well i've listened a bit of coast dorothy
1: to- edie do you know who dorothy edie is
2: I think that sounds familiar, but I have been a coast-to-coast Coast listener for a long, long time, and I, I do really try to learn about everything out there and try to...
1: Check out Dorothy Eady. She was um, born in, I think, Britain somewhere, um, but she um, she had been taken to an a Egyptian exhibit or museum when she was like five or something like that and fell to the feet of one of the um, Sarcophagus, I believe, or something along those statue or something, um, and started worshiping this, and said that she was from, uh, she was a, a high priestess from uh, pre-dynastic Egypt or something crazy like that, and then they went through, and she actually got an education, and, and actually eventually helped a lot of archaeologists. Um, in ancient er, Egypt find a lot of these ancient temples and cool. tombs and that kind of stuff. So she had knowledge beyond you know the scope yeah. of, of reality.
2: Yeah, no. I remember when I was just maybe four years old. I already knew all about growing up, getting married, having sex, what adults do, this and that. Like the whole thing of life, I already like in my mind. I already knew. Oh, I'm going to be doing this again, and at this age, I'm going to be doing this. And I kind of had an understanding of everything be, with a very very young age, and I it couldn't have come from anywhere but another life. But right. and and the the I think that when we're younger, we remember a lot more really quick and you know it takes not much time before we lose that memory of that stuff so you know if children are talking about i mean that
1: was the interesting thing to me about the urantia papers was the fact that say that between when you're four and five you gain this peace or divine spark um that guides you you know so that's when you become conscious really of reality you know so maybe until that point you're still tapped into this you know metaphysical or pre you know we look at any kid and usually they're pretty happy you know they they have crazy imagination so
2: yeah yeah no I, I believe in reincarnation um i don't um i think that think that we're all one and we're all connected and we're all you know individual like spores of one mushroom i guess you could say or we're all individual aspects of one godhood godhead um goddess We're we're part of one consciousness and we individualize. And I think that's what we're seeing when we see uh, orbs and we're seeing uh, large arrays of uh, celestial lights that fly over Mexico City or something. Mm -hmm. Why, if they're disembodied, why are they still separate if they're already disembodied in the ether? Because they're individual identities, but you can see they're all part of one group still. Right. You know, they're in, you know, in a cluster in different clusters and they fly together. And so it's kind of like I think it's the same thing with us down here. And we're the same. So, you know, this is just this is this is our, our this is our place where the spirit comes in that doesn't that exists in the everything and comes in to exist in the limited and through existing in the limited, we're very challenged to, ma- to believe everything is real. And by believing everything is real, we work really hard at things. We have pain, pain hurts things. We have love. Love drives us, inspires us. We, have, we take everything so seriously, but it's because we are in this limited sense. If we weren't, we, we wouldn't do that. So it's, it's our playground, I think.
1: Wow. No, it's fascinating, and uh,
2: and on that note,
1: baby. I think we've had a. Uh, I think this whole conversation has been fascinating. I appreciate you coming yeah, like on. Um, Thank you. And, I appreciate uh, you guys having well, me on. I really. Yeah, well, we'll fun. have you back on when you release your book, and um, you know, just let us know when that is, and uh, we'll set it up.
2: Thank you both very much. Cheers. All right. Have a good one. All right. Take care.
1: Peace.